Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My name is Charlie Gross. I am the Associate Executive Presbyter for the Presbytery of Donegal. I'm hosting this podcast series titled Missional Church Conversations, Making It Real. The basis of this conversation will be a series of interviews with a wide variety of leaders in the field of the missional church. These leaders will come in the form of professors, pastors, elders, deacons, and sisters and brothers in Christ who are experimenting with new ways of being the church in the world today. My hope is that these conversations will inspire you, challenge you, inform you, change you, and push you into the world with boldness and confidence to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. I do want to mention that I'm indebted to freeconferencecall.com for this call and the recording feature. It's outstanding. Today's guests are the Reverend Dr. Alan Roxborough and the Reverend Dr. Michael Wilson. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Good to hear from you, Charlie. Good morning, Charlie. Good to be with you. Thank you. Let me take a moment to introduce the talented leaders we have in this conversation today. My interviewing guest is the Reverend Dr. Michael Wilson. Michael is a personal friend and the pastor of Chestnut Level Presbyterian Church in Quarryville, Pennsylvania. Michael has a Master of Divinity degree from Princeton Theological Seminary, a Master of Theology from Columbia Theological Seminary studying under Dr. Darrell Guter, and a Doctor of Ministry from Fuller Theological Seminary where he studied under Dr. Roxborough. My special guest being interviewed today is indeed the Reverend Dr. Alan Roxborough. Dr. Roxborough is one of the premier thinkers and leaders in the church today. He's a pastor, teacher, writer, and consultant with more than 30 years of experience in church leadership, consulting, and seminary education. Alan has pastored congregations in a small town, the suburbs, the redevelopment of a downtown urban church, and the planning of other congregations. He has directed an urban training center and served as a seminary professor and the director of a center for mission and evangelism. Alan teaches as an adjunct professor in seminaries in the USA, Australia, and Europe. He has a long list of important books, which you can find at RoxburghMissionalNet.com. Alan, thanks again for your time and your passion. Hey, I'm glad to be able to have this conversation with you. Yeah, appreciate it. With that, let me briefly set the stage for this conversation. My hope for our time together is that uh, you can shape our understanding of the missional church, make it come alive for us, and then maybe give us some concrete to-dos or next steps. So this is a huge, huge order for a half-hour conversation. So okay. let's get going. Michael, I'll, I'll turn the microphone over to you. Thanks, Charlie. Um, Al, great to be with you. Um, since since we've talked, I've I've graduated, and the building um, that we talked about in the program has been built. A positive impact, I think, on our ministry and my context here. Right. You've been traveling a great deal. Um, yeah. I'm I'm interested in hearing about what you've been seeing and discovering as you're crossing boundaries around the world. Um, how that shapes how we understand Christ's work here in the West. And I think maybe a way into that conversation is to start just a little bit about language. You were, you were part of the team that came up with the word missional. It's gotten used um, a lot of different ways. I think, I think one of the first exercises you had us do as a cohort was to Google that and come up sort of with all these definitions and talk about it. 
I've also read you, you write a little bit about um, the word emergent and particularly some conversations, I think, in Germany and how that language has been, been used or misused there. I, I'm just wondering, as you, as you think about those things, what that tells you about our culture and the church and, and, and what we need to know and think about. Sure. The, um, let, let's kind of have that conversation around this word missional. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right. It was a word it was a word that was there, but hardly known prior to the writing of the book Missional Church more than 10 years ago by Gudev and Gelder, blah, 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 blah. Um, but clearly it has become now um, a word that is everywhere. In fact, uh, Craig Van Gelder is coming out with a new book, and uh, the first section of the book has a quote from me, which says that it is uh, it's kind of amazing that in a short span of two years, a word like missional has gone from obscurity to utter banality. And uh, that tells us something about what's happened, that the word itself starts to get used to mean almost everything. And um, my, my observations in North America, particularly, um, and this is a fairly generalized observation, is that the word missional captures for a lot of church leaders and people an anxiety an anxiety about the ways in which the, um, the habits of being church for the last um, 50, 60 years no longer are functioning well. It's an anxiety around the recognition that the whole culture is changing and a recognition that uh, as, as churches, as denominational systems, we have to find new ways of engaging our culture. I think that's the level at which missional is being used and talked about and experienced today. Uh, it means a whole lot more than that, but I think that what's driving the language of missional so much today is this anxiety about the church and its place. Uh, let me stop there. You may want to sort of ask other questions around that. Well, yeah, I'll follow up on that. If, if I hear you right, what you're saying is in, inside a lot of church leaders, there's an anxiety about the future's like, about what the present's like. We were shaped in a certain way to lead in a certain way. It's pretty clear to us that's not working. We start to reach for language to describe that, yeah. and um, and missional gives us gives us that opportunity um, to do that. The, the question then I think is, well, what are we gonna what are we gonna do with that? It's it's not enough just to name it or misname it. Right. That's correct. The um, I think that there are there are some uh, critical problems being exhibited in the way in which the language is used, and that gets to the question of what do we need to do. Um, I find that uh, a lot of the uh, the books that are being written with missional in the title, and I have those books, um, are are really uh, new forms or new ways of repackaging what we would call the old church health, church growth, church effectiveness. Um, and so it's really repackaging uh, how to make your church grow, how to make your church work, um, and that gets to the anxiety about the church. The second thing is that so much of this material keeps defaulting back to if we just get the right vision statement, the right mission statement, and the right strategic plan, uh, we can make the thing work all over again. And, and I don't think any of those things will help us get at the primary question you're asking, which is how. Um, it seems to me that at the core of the missional conversation, at least in those who were framing it a uh, number of years ago, is this understanding that, that, the, that, the, that, the, that the God 
the God of the scriptures is out there ahead of us. The God is by, a, by, by very nature a, a missionary God and has called us and keeps calling us to engage in these the shifting, changing cultures where we find ourselves. And that's part of what is meant by missional. It is that we are sent uh, just as God is a missionary God, but it also means that we are invited to participate in the life of God out there in this strange new place in these strange new cultures where we find ourselves. So that's number one. The second thing that I would say about our situation, getting to the how, is that um, you, you listen to people all the time talk about the fact that we're in a post-denominational age, a post-church age, a post-modern age, and you know there's so many posts that you get exhausted listing them. And, and part of what's meant by that is that a lot of us are no longer sure of where we are. Uh, the maps that got us to where we are no longer describe the place where we find ourselves. So you've got to ask the question, how do you lead and how do you form local churches or denominations when you find yourself in a space where you've never been before? And I think all of the proposals in many of these books fail to understand that piece. When you get that that's the issue, I think there are two or three things that are critical in terms of the how. And some of these are going to sound counterintuitive. The first critical thing is that we need to be, be forming ourselves as people who are re-entering the biblical narratives and who are learning to dwell again in Scripture. Because that's the place where we get all the clues to what God's up to. The second thing we need to do in that dwelling is learn to listen to the Spirit of God at work in and through one another. Um, because if we can't do that with one another, we're never going to do it out in the communities and neighborhoods where we find ourselves. The third thing that we need to do is discover some small experiments that we can begin to do in our local churches, experiments in boundary crossing. How do we enter our neighborhoods and communities to join with what God's doing and to ask how we begin to shape Christian life out of those encounters. Now, that, that's very, very quick and very high-end, but that, that's how I would respond to the how. Yeah, and certainly, Al, gosh, there's, there's a lot um, going on there. I'll, I'll maybe start at the very end there with that, with that boundary-crossing statement. It seems to me like if we're following a missionary God who's out there in front of us, necessarily that's going to take us um, across boundaries to places that we don't know, that, that we're... Uh, not in charge, that's going to necessitate a lot of conversations, a lot of listening, um, and, and a lot of learning on our part. I, I think I hear you saying that if if we're opening up books and it's sort of like, here, it's all figured out, here's what to do next, that's a clue that they don't know. That is correct. That is a clue. I mean, one of the big clues is when you get these books that say, Here's, here's the world that we live in. It's all changing. We're in all this new space. Now, here are the steps you need to take. Here is the answer. Here's the formula. That's a big clue to say, don't pay attention to that stuff. Yeah. They might, they might be describing the world at some level okay, but, the, but, but maybe they're not if they're, if they're giving us already prepackaged answers about, well, the, about what to do with see, them. Well, you see, we're in a place, and this is a, a big issue for leadership, we're in a place where we've got to discover for ourselves how to be God's people all over again. 
and there are no answers out there. There's no bullseyes. There's no program that you can pull off the shelf. That, if we know that that's the context, then that gives us all kinds of clues for how to go about being God's people in this new space. In some ways, it reminds me of um, God's people um, in the Old Testament in exile. That's new correct. space, confusing space. And so they went back to the text, but they didn't go back to the text thinking, um, we'll discover 10 steps to get out of exile. It was more a rediscovery of what's the identity of this God um, that we've followed that's brought us to a strange place and has confused us, and and how do we live now in this space and, and bless this space and receive it as, as e- even this is a gift from God. Exactly right. And that's, that's critically important, that this is the re-entering of the story, the re-entering of the narrative. It's living deeply in the story and tradition, uh, the biblical story, uh, the Christian tradition, and our own traditions as denominations. And uh, as you're pointing out, I just believe that is so utterly critical uh, in this missional journey. And, and one of the, the things that scares me are some of these gurus out there who keep saying, you know, we're in a post-denominational time and, you know, denominations don't have a future or local churches don't have a future and we've got to start new in this kind of new, and they have their own form. That really scares me because in the biblical imagination, the, 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 the future of God is always implicated in the re-entering and the rediscovering of God's narrative and God's story. And maybe I'll be helpful to ask you a little bit of what you mean also just by dwelling with Scripture, because I, I yeah. think you, you don't mean um, a small group Bible study where we talk about our feelings and discover um, how we can just continue to, to find energy to live the lives that we have been living. No, I don't mean that. Um, the, the, and again, th- this takes more time to unpack, but uh, w- what I mean is um, is how how we actually fundamentally change our approach and our attitude towards Scripture. And I have great respect for the teaching ministry of the church, but part of what the teaching ministry of the church has done is create a a relatively passive group of other people that we call lay people who do not believe that they can, in fact, uh, engage Scripture in and with and for themselves. Or... If they do engage scripture, it's usually in small groups where it's these kind of romantic, wonderful thoughts. I'm talking about something radically different that's an ancient tradition. It's a belief that, 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 that if, we, if we learn to wait before a text, um, as ordinary men and women of God, the Spirit of God speaks to us, and that text reads us in ways that we could not imagine. Now, that's about learning new practices. And again, uh, what I want to emphasize here is that that, that this missional church that we're talking about is the recovery of some of the practices and habits and disciplines of Christian life that have always been there, but have been lost. And one of those is learning to to dwell in Scripture. That is, to, to learn some practices of letting Scripture speak to us and read us rather than us always being in control and knowing what the Bible is all about. The Bible, instead of being an answer book, becomes uh, the narrative that starts to tell us what our lives 
really are like. Exactly right. And, and I know that for many people listening to this, that sounds strange and counterintuitive, uh, but that's an indication how far we've come from, um, from, from some, some real grasp of, of, of what this strange Word of God is all about. Um, but, so yes, this is one of the habits and practices we need to learn. And it really is one of the skills and vocations that the ordained and the clergy are called to do and cultivate amongst their people. And I, I know that one of the ways that, you, that you've done that is, is through Luke 9 and 10. One of the ways that we've tried to engage that here in our context um, with, with our elders and, and, and as a way to engage the denominational history, too, is to read through the Westminster Confession. But to read through the Westminster Confession, not with an eye that I, as the pastor, am going to read you and tell you that this is uh, what, what the Church believes, but that we're going, to, we're going to talk about how this forms us, how this shapes us, how is it strange to us, um, and, and what does it mean about both our history and also our future. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. And, and, of course, what you're doing with that is you are returning to a part of your story and tradition, and you are learning habits and practices of listening and engagement and dialogue together around that confession, just as we would do it around Luke 10. And those become the spaces where we, where we, where we are hearing God and the Spirit of God addressing us in fresh ways. Lots of what I hear you talk about there, Alice, is is space for people to have conversations, yes, to 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 talk and and to talk openly, not not to be answering the right question that the pastor's looking for, um, but to be able to name, I think, me what's going on inside of them, as a way to probably naming some gifts that that they've also been given that can help the particular congregation engage in ministry in its context. That is correct. It is. Um and I've written about this in numbers of my books, it, it, it really is a, a fundamental shift of imagination in which, and this is basically just picking up good reform theology, in which um, we become more and more convinced that God is up to something out there in all these changing communities and neighborhoods and amongst us as people in our local churches. God's up to something. And, and God's spirit is present amongst all the ordinary people of our local churches and in our communities. And so what I mean by creating space is, is how do we recover the space, the table, the place where people feel the safety to speak that which is within them, to reconnect with the stories and narratives that lie within them. Because my experience is that most people in most of our churches don't believe that in their stories and in their narratives are the clues to what God's up to. And, and that's what we want to release. That's what we want to call forth through dwelling in Scripture, through teaching, through encouragement. And, and my conviction is every time a clergy person comes along with a vision statement, mission statement, and strategic plan, they are simply shutting down um, those safe spaces for the stories and narratives of God's people to come up to the surface. As I think about pastoral leadership in, in that model that you're beginning to describe there, I think that um, it, it takes time 
to do that. We've got to we've got to be listening closely to people, getting to know people, sitting around their tables, yes. um, stopping by their workplace. And we've got farms in this community stopping by and and saying, hey, how's it going? Um, not not with an agenda, not stopping by because we need them to teach Sunday school or serve on a board, um, and not not stopping by just to exercise pastoral care, but to but to learn in their life and and start to engage them in these conversations. That's exactly right. Because yeah. um, the, the strange thing is that a lot of clergy would kind of read that as a waste of time. Yeah, uh, right. And and of course uh, Eugene Peterson, one of your best-known Presbyterian uh, brothers, uh, talks about it as a royal waste of time. Uh, And that's what makes this stuff so counterintuitive. Um, But that's the kind of journey that we need to go on. Um, Now, that's, you know, that's one side of the missional piece. What we're really talking about here is, is, uh, um, in an Anglican tradition like mine, is catechesis. It's formation. It's how we reintroduce practices of Christian life uh, back into our local churches and congregations. Another piece of that has to do with also moving into our local context, learning its history, um, learning the community, getting to know the neighbors, so that we know particularly what God is up to in this space. And um, that also is something as pastors that that we're probably not trained to do and and we're also not rewarded for doing. In other words, to to say, oh, well, I I, I spent the day um, at the coffee shop talking to people in the neighborhood might make some of our members scratch their heads. But but that's another important thing to do, too, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. And again, um, what we're talking about here is the interface between what I would call basic biblical or theological convictions, and how do we actually do that? Right. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the convictions here, as you've pointed out, is that as Christians, what we're confessing in Jesus is that, is that the God who we know is the God who turns up in the local and the particular and the material. Um, <clears throat> and therefore, in these, in these strange times as churches, we have to ask the question, how do we figure out what God's up to? And, and, and the answer to that is no different than it's ever been. God's up to stuff in the ordinary and the local and the particular. So how do we find out? Well, uh, we find out, both as clergy and others, by learning all over again to, to listen, to, 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 to sort of awaken our ears and to open our eyes to what's going on right in our neighborhoods and communities, because that's where God's at work. And that requires us to do things like hang out in coffee shops for a while, join soccer leagues to coach, uh, walk through our neighborhoods, um, engage in book clubs, all kinds of things uh, in which we are continually asking the question, and I think this is a spiritual discipline, what's God up to here? Where is God present in this space and in this room and amongst these people? And how, therefore, might we join with that uh, and bring the good news of the kingdom? And just to, to press that home, you're calling for pastors to do that, too, that it's not enough for us to sit in an office and, um, and go visit our members, but, but we need to be coaching soccer. And uh, I'm right. helping lead Cub Scouts with my son. And part of that is 
rubbing shoulders, listening, talking to to quote unquote real people who have that is, real yeah, problems. And, and and let's let's be honest and frank. Uh, a large majority of clergy uh, do not do that and are terrified by it. Um, yeah. I, I was with a group of clergy um, in January, about 20 of them, and and they described their lives like this. So this is not me, this is them. They said, you don't understand. Uh, <clears throat> we, we live in a, as a clergy person once said, I live in a bubble, and uh, the bubble is my home. And... Um, when I leave my bubble, I get into another bubble. It's called a motor car. And I drive down a highway to a bigger bubble, which is called the church and the church building and the church office. And, and, and you have no idea the demands on my life to run that bubble and take care of the needs of the people in that bubble. And at the end of the day, I get in my little bubble and I drive back to my other bubble. And, and, and everybody was nodding. Nobody was saying that isn't the case. So we as clergy have a big challenge ahead of us. Um, and, 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 it, and it is, again, learning these new habits. But if we don't do that, it's, it's never going to be picked up and become part of the ethos and the way of life of our own congregation. Yeah. And now I, I, I heard you say two things there. One is that there's, there's pressure on us clergy to, to, to run the church bubble. Um, there's expectations there. And that can that can keep us inside there. But the other is it, it's scary to to cross those boundaries and to go out there and to be vulnerable and um, to to talk. Yeah, to people. it is scary. And and I would not for a second pretend that that's not the case. Yeah. It is. These are scary moves. Um, I'll give you an illustration. Um, wherever I work. Um, if it's for a weekend or if it's with people for a year or two years, we are always dwelling in the text, which is, and, and for us it's Luke 10, 1 through 12. And remember, that text is where Jesus sends out the 70 and says, go on your way and enter the towns and villages to which you are sent. And it is clear, I mean, I did it this weekend with a group of Anglicans, that as people dwell and listen to that text, when they respond to it, they respond with anxiety. Uh, because the thought of entering neighborhoods and communities is somehow in our day and age a very threatening, scary experience for most people, clergy and laity alike. And what that tells me is that somehow we have lost the capacity to have ordinary human conversations with other men and women, And, um, and, and that's a big deal. And, and I'm not trying to say people shouldn't feel like that. They do, and we need to understand it. Uh, but that's part of what the challenge that we're facing. Yeah. We had in the fall um, some families over, and uh, there were some of these young boys. And one of the at, at the end, one of the young boys uh, didn't want to leave, and he was up in our treehouse. And so I climbed up in the treehouse, and I'm I'm talking with him. Yeah. And and he refused to go. Um, and his mom's. Yelling, you know, come down and 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 you, you you sort of go, you know what? I'm I'm not in charge here. Like this is this is I, I don't I don't know what to do in this space. Exactly. And um and and that that calls for to go back to theological language, faith. It calls for us to really believe that God is at work, that uh, this God who sent Jesus is still at work in the world, and that really we're not in charge, but that God is. That's right. It, it just uh, if, you, if you've got a moment, I'll, I'll tell you a story about this. Um, 
I, I work with uh, a lot of younger leaders, and some of them not so young, in their you know, mid-30s to mid-40s, and, and I'm constantly um, confounded by the way these leaders, that they want a plan and they want a strategy, and they believe that with the right strategy, putting the right pins in the map, you can, you can sort of create a movement that will retake America for Christ or whatever you want to sort about. And I keep saying to them, you know, I'm not interested in that stuff. I don't have the energy for that stuff. And besides which, if we genuinely live in a new space, none of that stuff makes sense. And then it struck me. And here's the story, and it's, it's in the newsletter. I'm just going to send out. Um, my brother said to me the other day, he said, um, do you know what the word for the Holy Spirit was amongst the Celts? And remember the Celts in England... Uh, in Lindisfarne and other places, were really the missionaries that transformed Europe. And I said, no, what was the name for the Holy Spirit? And my brother, who studied this a lot, he said that the Celts' name for the Holy Spirit was the wild goose. Now, I've grown up believing that when somebody goes on a wild goose chase, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of stupid people because uh, they have no idea what they're doing, and it's a useless exercise. But the Celts, uh, and these, these are missionaries who transformed their culture. They were so convinced that the Holy Spirit, like the wild goose, was out there ahead of them, that, that what they would do in twos and threes and fours is that they would go out into the neighborhoods and communities, into the villages and towns on wild goose chases, which meant they were asking, what's the Spirit doing ahead of us? And how do we engage and join with the Spirit and bring the presence of God and speak God's Word in the midst of that? And that wasn't a big strategy, a big plan. It was a way of creating space and environment and life. That's the kind of leadership we need. But it's scary for most pastors because they, they, they want to be in control. And the way to be in control is to have a plan and have a map. But we can't have them. And so I think that this is the kind of metaphor that begins to get at the sort of leadership that lies under what I would call missional leadership. I think, probably in some congregations, there would be a lot of resistance to that. I think in some congregations, though, they'd be, they'd be glad for that, because I think it would be maybe leadership that would tell them what they already know about what's going on in the world around them. Exactly. Um, and, 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 and also doesn't lay a whole other level of expectation on them as they come to church. Now here, we're going to do all these grand plans. You know, it, it invites them to, to tell the truth about, about their own anxieties, about the Spirit, and then to participate in that. That's right. Yeah. 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 I, I, I believe you're, you're, you're dead right. But, but again, the, the challenge here is that most of us ordained, and I'm ordained, so right. this is not a criticism of other people, we were never formed in that kind of imagination or that way of life. But I think that's the journey that we're being invited to go on. Yeah. The other thing I would say uh, is that um, I'm pretty convinced in what I'm seeing that, that, that very few of us can do this by ourselves. Um, and, and, of course, the problem with, with, with a lot of clergy is that they've been trained to do things by themselves. Uh, and so what we have to do, we have to find ways of coming together in groups of five or six clergy to actually learn this stuff together. 
uh, I, I think that the kind of, of shifts of leadership, skills, and imagination that are being called for um, can't be sustained by oneself. They, they can only be appropriately cultivated and learned as we come together with other clergy and almost covenant together to go on a journey to learn to do this. And, you know, Al, one of the great gifts of, of our work together was my connection and is, is my connection with Jim Amstutz, who's a Mennonite pastor in Lancaster County. And we continue to get together on a monthly basis to talk, to share, to support, and also to question one another as we learn these skills. Because as you learn new skills, we make mistakes, and we also say, am I doing this right? And it's helpful to have somebody look at what we're doing and say, yes or no. Exactly um, right. And, and, of course... The, um, the habits that we've been, le- been taught is that if we want to learn something, we go to a conference and we listen to a guru and we take notes. And what we've learned is nothing changes. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that happens is that most leaders learn by being thrown in the deep end uh, without a life jacket to see whether they can survive, and a lot of them don't. But, but I, 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 our conviction is the most critical way of learning how to be this kind of missional leader is just exactly what you're describing, that in an area, a, a cluster of pastors come together to do these kinds of conversations because it's guaranteed that no matter what book you read or what course you take, when you start to take this journey, very quickly you're going to go, I've never been here before, I don't know what to do, and by the way, the book never told me about this. That's where we need each other to figure this stuff out. Right. Because, because if we get to that space and there's nobody else around, we're, we're going to retreat back into what we know, whether it's working or not. Absolutely. And yeah. you know what? All of us are like that. Right. Oh, right. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so this is not an indictment of people. In fact, I'd say that, that's a pretty healthy response. Right. For you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, well gosh. Al, thanks a lot. Man, this is been... welcome. We'd love to keep talking, but yeah, I know you've got uh, timelines here. Yep. <laughs> yeah, friends, this has been uh, an outstanding uh, conversation. You, you're modeling actually a small group uh, discussing important uh, issues and questions, and um, you know I would encourage the, the listeners to, um, to to do that as well, and actually to grab some resources from that RoxburghMissionalNet.com that. Um, there's there's books and there's articles and there's all sorts of things that they can get to, um, you know, to spur them on into this uh, type of conversation. So, I thank God for both of you, your your energy, your passion for uh, following uh, Jesus Christ into the world, and it's a special honor to be uh, to be with you in this work and this conversation. So, God's extravagant blessings uh, to you both as we leave this time together and uh, and go and serve. So, bye for Daddy. now. Yeah, thank you so much. And, Michael, it's been great to hear your voice and talk to you again. Same here, Al. Good talking with you. Thank you, Charlie, for getting us together. You're welcome. God's peace to you all. Yep.